Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. Like always remember that Let's Talk Micro it's available on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, TuneIn, Stitcher, Pandora, whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro One. So go ahead and follow. I like to post pictures of organisms. So on the last episode, I basically closed on a series of uh, episodes about anaerobic organisms. And remember, when I talk about anaerobic organisms, are organisms that do not grow in the presence of oxygen. So the series was concluded. Um, some key points. Remember that in order to be able to successfully recover anaerobes, you need to take some things into account. Proper source, proper incubation, and proper auger. Deep sources and surgical specimens are appropriate. And there are several systems that we use to incubate the media that remove oxygen and give a CO2 environment. And I went over three of them. The BD Gas Pack EC system, the Mitsubishi Gas Chemical Anero Pouch Anero, and the Anoxomat, of course, always, you know, I compare and contrast it depending on the facility, what will be more cost effective. So if you haven't gone over those episodes, just make sure you check them out. Available on all podcast platforms. With the agar, we need a combination of plates. Right, that's what's recommended to maximize the, re the recovery of organisms. Just using a blood agar incubated anaerobically is not enough, like I talked about before, because there are facultative ana anaerobic organisms that will grow in blood agar, making it harder to isolate an anaerobe. You know, it is the same with an anaerobic culture. We just don't set a blood agar, right? It will make it definitely very crowded very difficult to recover organisms especially when you have those sources you know sometimes like those enteric abdominal sources with a lot of organisms will grow it will make it very difficult especially if you have a let's say you have a produce that it will swarm all over the agar uh, if you have a myroides you know those definitely spread a lot so you have to keep that in mind. So in aerobic culture, you will set up more than one set of plates, right? You have your blood agar, which basically almost all the organisms will grow. Then you have your chocolate, which it's a heat of blood and some factors are released, which allows the growth of more fastidious organisms, you know, like some uh, species of Neisseria, some Haemophilus. Then you have your PEA which is selected for gram-positive organisms. Um, and then some gram-negative can grow, but they will be, the growth will be inhibited. And then you have your McConkie, which is selected for gram-negative rods and differential for lactose fermentation. So by using this combination of plates, you are given both the gram-positive, the gram-negative, and also the fastidious organism organisms a chance to grow right so basically you're even giving everyone 
somewhat of a fair, fair chance to fight, fair chance to being recovered, so you can find out what's causing the disease state on the patient, and you can give the proper ID of the organism and their susceptibilities. So just like this, with the anaerobes, we want to use a combination of plates to make sure that we recover anaerobic gram-negative rods, anaerobic gram-positive cocci, anaerobic gram-positive rods, even anaerobic gram-negative cocci. I talked about uh, with the anaerobic agar, one of the main components is hemin and vitamin K. It is actually needed for most anaerobic organisms to grow. I talked about the CDC and shalers. You know, CDC, which was developed by the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, has ingredients that help anaerobes grow, but facultative anaerobes can also grow in it. So by itself, it's not a good choice. Shalers has some versions with canamycin and vancomycin, which makes it selective for anaerobic gram-negative rods. So this in conjunction with the CDC plane is a better choice. I also talked about PEA, which is selective for gram-positive organisms. This makes it helpful for anaerobic gram-positive rods, like Clostridium. And then you have BBE agar, which is Bacteroides bile-esculine agar. It has bile-esculine, which is hydrolyzed by members of the B. fragilis group. And of course, I mentioned that there are biplates that have CDC lake blood agar, which is lysed, with canamycin and vancomycin and BVE. So you have a biplate that has two of them. So you use it in conjunction with other plates. Okay, so now let's talk about pastorella. So why am I talking about pastorella in this episode? Well, from an Instagram, um, um, an Instagram, a follower on Instagram, um, I, I posted when it was my birthday that this was my favorite bacteria. And a follower suggested that um, I should go ahead and talk about it. So this is what I'm doing today. So what is Pastorella? Let's start with that. Well, it is a small, non-modal, gram-negative run. It is oxidase positive and is a glucose fermenter. Pastorella is normal flora in both domestic and wild animals. It is found in the nasopharynx and gastrointestinal tract of them. And remember, well, when I get technical, I start going over definitions. I always like to use Bailey and Scott's Diagnostic Microbiology. It is a great source. They have no relation, no affiliation to this podcast. It is a great source. I think it's widely used in schools. Um, so I definitely like using it. So it, um, like I said, so it's, it's normal flora in both domestic and wild animals. It is found in the nasopharynx and gastrointestinal tract of them. It is transmitted to humans during close contact with these animals, such as bites. So this is where most infections are seen, tissue infection from bites. The most common species, the most common species of Pastorella encounter in clinical specimen is Pastorella multocida. It is normal flora in dogs and cats, and it is most commonly found in wound or tissue infections. It can also be found to a lesser extent in the respiratory tract. You know, um, in addition to that, it can be seen in bacteremia and endocarditis. I mentioned that it's oxidase positive, 
so it is indopositive as well, and it does and it does not grow on McConkie agar. And colonies have a musty odor. It's very peculiar. So when you, first of all, you shouldn't be smelling plates. There are times that you can help it when you are working on the bench, but you shouldn't be smelling plates. I mean, you don't know what's in there. But the colonies do give a musty odor. So I mentioned that pastorella does not grow in McConkie, and I just want to bring an interesting point. This is something that you new technologists out there, new students need to keep in mind. You start learning in school about your classics, right? Your stab, your strep, your enterobacteriales, your pseudomonas. And then you learn that your enterobacteriales, your pseudomonas, you know, your stenos, they grow in McConkie because McConkie is an agar that is selected for gram-negative rods. But here you have a gram-negative rod that does not grow in McConkie. And my point is that you have to keep this in mind because as you go with these organisms, as you get familiar, you know, there are so many organisms. There's so much information in micro. And that's as you get more comfortable, as you practice more, a gram stain is always a helpful tool. Maybe you don't, if you don't recognize the morphology, you're not sure what it is. I talked about this before, like would white colonies, donosum is a coccyte. White colonies could mean a gram positive run. It could mean, it could mean a yeast. So the same thing with this, just because something is not growing on Makanki does not mean that it is not a gram negative run. Because I have seen this happen. Oh, it's growing on blood. It's growing on chocolate. It's not growing on Mac. So it's not a gram negative run. And believe me, it happens. We had this case years ago where in the lab, as part of our proficiency testing, we need to do competencies on the areas that we are trained on. And this is a process, you know, you have, when you get higher, you have initial, and then you have semi-annual, and then you have annual competencies. So on one of these competencies, uh, pastorella was used. And actually, there were more than a tech, I believe. They assumed that it was not a gram-negative rod because it wasn't, it wasn't not, it was not growing on McConkie. So they went ahead and a gram positive card on the Vitek was set up and it gave Kokuria, which those of you familiar with the Vitek, you know, Kokuria a lot of times is when you set up the wrong organism. If you set up a gram negative rod on a gram positive card, it will give you a Kokuria. So Kokuria is an organism, but in this case it's not the right one. And the person reported it like that. So it makes us think that just because, you know, this is, it takes years. It takes constant repetition. So there are some organisms that you can get comfortable with, right? You recognize a Staph aureus, nice beta hemolytic. You recognize a nice Klebsiella old mucoid, an icy coli, that, that flat lactose fermenting on McConkie. But those that you are not familiar with, you have to, in conjunction with the patient's history, with the initial gram stain, you have to do a gram stain to make sure that you know what you are, to know in which direction you are going. And I know nowadays with the Molotov, it's easier. You just put it on the slide and get an ID. 
However, you don't know what's going to happen if someone else is setting up your Molotov, if they scan the wrong patient. So you need to know what you're doing, what you're looking at. And there are many tools out there when we are doing our job. And one of them, it's the gram stain. So easy, so quick to do, and it will save you from trouble and it will point you in the right direction so the right outcome can be achieved. So there's also, going back to the pastorellas, so you have Maltoceta, which is normal flora in cats and dogs. Then you have Pastorella canis, which is normal flora in dogs. And there are some other species such as P. dagmatis and P. stomatis that are part of the flora in dogs. However, P. canis is the most commonly encountered species from dog bites. It is also indole and oxidase positive and it does not grow on MAC as well. We also have another species which is Pastorella erogenes. This one is indole negative. It may present as cocobacillary and this one is normal flora in pigs. What makes it interesting for me is that it actually this one does grow in McConkie. And in a little bit I will tell you a story about Pastorella erogenes. So it is definitely good to keep it in the back of your mind. I mean, yes, you are constantly, depending on the facility, if you're in a small lab, you're probably gonna stick a lot of times with the classics, right? You're gonna see definitely a lot of E. coli, a lot of Cleb, a lot of Proteus, a lot of Pseudomonas, and then to some other extent, your Acinobacter, your Stenos, you're definitely gonna see CNS, Staph, Staph aureus, Strep, so you will be seeing those. So pastorella, depending on the size of the facility, you might not see as often, but it's definitely good to keep it in the back of your mind. Even though most of the of the species that don't grow in McConkie, you have one that does, which is pastorella erogenes. So now that brings it to the point of this episode. Why is pastorella my favorite? Well, there isn't a specific reason if you were hoping for one. It is more of a combination of factors. Let me start with the fact that microbiology is a field that is continuously changing. Instrumentation changes, new antibiotics come, guidelines for antimicrobials change, the names of the organisms change, etc. Right? Great example, especially here in the United States. You know, before a great portion of ID in organisms was doing like the battery of tests, right? Like your your TSI, you know, your LIA, um, doing all the tests that you had set up in tubes and based on those reactions, that's where you came up with the ID of an organism. You know, you also had the API test that you had to incubate for a day. And now we move on, right? And, you know, start getting Vitech. Now we have Malditov. Uh, the names of the organisms change. For example, back in the day, Borcolderia uh, sepatia used to be Pseudomonas sepatia. Stenotrophomonas maltophilia used to be Pseudomonas maltophilia. More recently, right, the Enterobacteriales used to be known as the Enterobacteriaceae. C. difficile costeroides, you know, Propionibacterium, Cutibacterium. So things are definitely constantly changing. You know, all the tests that we used to do, 
like the modify Hodge test for the KPC. Um, now we definitely have a lot of PCR base to detect the, detect those genes. So basically, you, there's no way that you can learn everything. What when you go in school, you learn a foundation, right? You learn the basics, the things that do not change or change very little. And the same goes for the microbiology lab. So the same goes for the microbiology lab. You learn your techniques, right? Gram stains, biochemical reactions for organisms, but you still stick to the classics, right? Staph, Streb, Enterobacterialis, Pseudomonas, Haemophilus. So you don't touch on all the organisms. You stick to certain ones, the ones that you're probably going to see more in your clinicals and the ones that you're going to encounter the most. So Pasteurella is not one of them. Um, you definitely you go over a little bit of it in the theory as far as like a fastidious gram-negative rod. But you might not see it on the lab portion. So this is one of the things that first made it so exciting to me, right? You were definitely, you see a Klebsiella, you see an E. coli, you see a Staphorius. You know, you learn to do strep typing in the lab. Um, but you cover in theory Pasteurella, and then when you are on the on the bench and you see it, you're like, oh, okay, so this is, you know, you discuss it. Maybe in clinicals they might give it to you. But when you're on the actual bench, you're working, then you see it. So it is always exciting to see those organisms that you might not see as much in the lab. And of course, like I always say, it, it is sad for the patients to have it. So the only exciting thing as a microbiologist is not that, of course, you know, we feel for the patient. We just see these organisms. It makes us know more. It makes us better at our jobs to be able to recognize these organisms. Typically, when you start working in a, in a micro lab, more than likely in a clinical micro lab, more than likely you will start working in the urine bench, right? Doing urine cultures. And this is because normally the, the range of organisms is more controlled. You have less. It is mostly, right, your enterobacterialis, pseudomonas, you know, your staph, your strep. They might not get as complicated as far with organism growth. You do get a lot of mixed urogenital flora. So it's either, you know, it's either mixed or, or you work up the pathogen. So it, it's definitely, it makes it easier for the new technologists to start, you know, learning the workflow, learning the organisms, learning the biochemicals. And that way, let's say when you get to a more complicated bench with the wound bench, like the wound bench, where you have your actinomyces, you can have nocardia, you can have rapid growing mycobacteria. By that point in time, you're more comfortable with the flow with the procedures, with the organisms, with the biochemicals. So seeing Pastorella on the urine bench, it's very, it's highly unlikely. I mean, it's not impossible, but it is not as common. Like I mentioned earlier, it is, you mostly see it in soft tissue infections. Typically when you're, you know, your dog, your cat bites you. But then, and then to a lesser extent to a bacteremia. But on the urine bench, it's not something that you might—it's not something that you might see. So then you start going to other areas, 
other benches and you see these organisms that you might not see in school. So I remember the first time that I had my first, you know, my first pastorella. I was on the blood bench, gram negative rod seen on the gram stain. And then on a typical blood culture setup, you know, if it's an aerobic bottle, you have blood, chocolate, McConkie. And then if it's an anaerobic bottle, you add an anaerobic, you add a blood plate that you incubate anaerobically. So then there it was, gram negative rod seen on the first, on the initial gram stain. And then you had growth of both blood chocolate, but no growth of McConkie. So I remember I was excited because it's like, oh, wow, I have my first one here. So that's one of the things that it first, you know, made me like it. Other things, of course, indole and oxidase. I like to say maybe that my fascination is with bacteria that like to do things different. They might not go completely with the flow, I guess, if you're going to put it in some terms. Like, it doesn't grow Mac, so that makes it different. I don't know, maybe it identifies with my personality that I like to... I don't know, maybe I'm not your typical person, but I like to, you know, move in my own way. Of course, you know, you're following the rules, but when I get to my place, I don't know, it's a little bit hard to explain. I'll, I'll stick to the pastorella. So that's one of the things, indolent oxidase. That's also one, it made me fascinated. It fascinated me because it was, typically you learn that, right? that mo most organisms are not positive for both, right? Your enterobacterialis, they are oxidase negative. That's one of their trademarks. And then you have pseudomonas, which is oxidase positive, but indole negative. You know, your stenotrophomonas, your acinetobacter, they are oxidase negative and indole negative. So you typically have an organism that's negative for both or positive for one or the other. But you don't have many that are positive for indole and oxidase. That's one thing that made me like it. I don't know the, the difference. That it just like it's it's it goes against the normal. Another thing that I like about it is the fact that they are normal flora animals, right? It makes us think how how diverse are we, right? We carry normal flora, right? Lactobacillus, some species of Corynebacterium go our negative staff, we carry in our bodies like normal. Uh, some, you know, they're opportunistic, but normally we just carry them with no issues. And the same goes with other, you know, with different animals. They carry their pasture and it's normal. And then when it gets to us, then it causes problems. So that's one thing, just how diverse are we? How many different bacteria we carry in our bodies you know how the cats the dogs the humans we all are so different and then when that bacteria gets to another person or another species it causes disease and that of course can be a very bad thing like you've seen with the with viruses so that's one one thing that i that i like about it and also, like I mentioned, with the McConkie agar, that it doesn't grow, but then it just, it makes you use your critical thinking. 
I remember also the first time that I had a pastorella erogenes. I think this culture had been worked out for a few days. They set up a Vitek ID card and it came back as pastorella erogenes. So guess what? You're like, you're like, okay, so I learned about those one with cats and dogs and one with dogs. So I wasn't familiar with pastorella erogenes. I'm like, especially I knew that they did not grow, you know, like canis and multicita, that they do not grow on McConkie. So I was like a pastorella on McConkie. So then I did my research. This is what I was a new tech. I started looking in the ASM books. And then there it was. It says that it can grow on McConkie and that it is normal flora in pigs. So I'm like, I work in a city. Uh, not too many people have pigs, I assume. I mean, mostly in the farms. So I checked the patient's history and there it was. It, the patient was bitten by a pig. So that made it easier. I'm like, okay, this makes sense now. And I definitely remember that. And I teach to students too. So make sure that you keep it in the back of your mind. So these situations, they make you use your critical thinking. They make you learn more for example like in my case i wasn't familiar with this so i research look at the history and then i was comfortable because i had the facts that it made sense for this patient to have this particular organism that it wasn't a misidentification from the from the vitec so that's why pastorella it's just fascinating to me in so many ways it likes to do things different and I know some other organisms uh, do as well. But this one is maybe one that you might not learn so much about in school. And yet it has all these correct characteristics. You, When you see it on the bench, it just makes it exciting. And of course, exciting as for the microbiologist and me. You can always feel for the patients and... We do our best, but seeing all this stuff, it makes us better, right? Because we learn, we studied. I definitely educated myself more about pastorella, so I am more aware. Just because nothing is growing on my McConkie, you have to keep checking the history, checking the plates to make sure that you don't miss an organism like this. That's what makes me like it. Always use your critical thinking. Always continue educating yourself. And do not assume. That's the worst that you can do in microbiology or in the lab. Don't assume anything. You have your tests. Always use your patient history. You have your tools, your gram stain. And then you have your books that you can use as a reference. And nowadays, you know, you have the internet too. So it's also a, a resource. So there's really no reason that you should be assuming anything. That's a bad thing to do in this job. This is about our patients. And their safety is paramount for us. So we need to we need to make sure that we do the best job that we can. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy listening about Pastorella. Like always, I enjoy talking about it. Um, I hope you have a great week. 
Continue staying motivated, continue bringing passion to what you do. Continue educating yourself. Nowadays, we have so much access to information. So there are some pros and cons to that much access, but definitely a pro is that we can educate ourselves, become more proficient at what we do. Remember, this is a very important job that affects how a person is treated. So continue educating yourself, continue staying, staying motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time.